Hi, and welcome to the first video version of Industrial Design Journey. I am Evan Furnish, and I am joined uh, with my co-host Lane and our two wonderful guests, Jacob and Grace Tesmer. Uh, hi, how are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Yeah, doing well. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you guys on. Uh, Jacob works at the ICC, so it's I've gotten to know him a lot over this past year, Lane as well, and I've really enjoyed having him to guide me through my process so far in industrial design. And I want to start off, how did uh, both of you guys learn about industrial design to begin with? Yeah. Well, I guess quick, we'll introduce ourselves too. So my name is Jacob Tesmer and this is my wife, Grace Tesmer. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, like Evan said, yeah, um, I've been working at the ICC for a few years now and Grace has been working at Zookin for the last few years. But Going back to your question of how did we get into industrial design, um, yeah, I could go first. I'll start. So, yeah, when I uh, was in high school, I was obsessed with with cars. So cars were a really big deal. Um, so I, I really loved drawing them, but I didn't really think it was a career. I think in my head it was like, oh, you just go to school, you learn how to be a mechanic, you work your way up through the company, and, and somehow you magically get to draw cars, <laughs> which I now know is not the way it happens. But uh, that was kind of how it started for me. And when I was in high school, one of my art teachers back when we lived in Texas mentioned to me like, oh, you should look into automotive design. And so I found out about automotive design and I started kind of digging into that. And then as time went on through the rest of my high school career, I began realizing there was this thing called industrial design. And so a lot of my art teachers kind of kept recommending it to me, bringing it up to me. And by my senior year, I had a pretty good idea of what it was and and that it was something I wanted to do. And so I started looking at a number of programs, uh, looked at Cincinnati's DAP program, looked at OSU, and eventually landed on Cedarville and ended up going to Cedarville's industrial design program through the ICC. Yeah, and then for me, um, I also learned about industrial design in high school. I had a tech and engineering class. Um, I think it was my junior year, and the I believe there's probably like one paragraph in the textbook that mentioned industrial design. Um, but our our teacher for that class actually had us build a foam core model of an architectural building. So we had to design the spaces, we had to design like how it would work. Um, Mine was like a spherical building <laughs> somehow. And um, so that was really fun. I think it gave me a little taste of like how industrial design can be both uh, practical and working with your hands and also very logical and artistic at the same time. And so um, I was a little torn when I was uh, looking at colleges to go to, whether I wanted to do graphic design or industrial design. And uh, my one of my motivations was probably that industrial design paid better according to the (laughs) bureau of labor statistics so (laughs) so um and i i at that time i wanted to go to a christian college and cedarville was literally the only one with industrial design program and so um, that's how i ended up cedarville and my older brothers both went to cedarville as well yeah that was gonna come up normally people i like to joke that like it's either 
an artist that wants to make money or an engineer that doesn't like math. It's like it's one of the yeah. two. But you guys both are kind of rare in the fact that you both heard about industrial design and kind of pursued industrial design. Um, now, Jacob, you said you chose the ICC or Cedarville. You guys graduated in one of the earlier classes of the ICC. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. I was 2016. And yeah, and I was 2017. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So for such a young program, what what really – so Grace said it was the Christian aspect. What for you made you oh, choose man. such a new program? Uh, for me, one, <laughs> I don't think I could hack it at, at CCAD <laughs> or uh, – or no, not CCAD, the DAP program in Cincinnati. That program is phenomenal. Um, so no, I don't think I was quite at the level to make it there, but – Again, the Christian aspect, that was a huge deal for me. Like, it was awesome to find a school that actually had the program I was looking for that had, you know, Christian principles behind it. And then also, too, one of the nice things, Terry Chamberlain, uh, one of these the advisors at Cedarville, when I went in to find out about the program, had a whole portfolio of work of one of the professors there. And it was just phenomenal. I was like, that is exactly what I want to do. Like the minute I saw those illustrations, the designs, the way that you can sketch and visualize a product, that that's exactly what I was looking for. And, you know, what better way to make a living than drawing the future of products? <laughs> I, I think I also fell in love a bit with the original campus of the ICC. Yeah. I went to visit as part of my, you know, college visit, trying to figure out what college to go to, and um, everyone who's missed out on that campus is really, <laughs> I, feel, I know. feel sorry for you, um, but I really, it was, it was kind of magical going there for the first time, and then um, talking to the professors there, and everyone just had so much enthusiasm about the program, it was like hard not to catch it, you oh, know? yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, the building was great, and then it had such a cool history, too, being the old... Fitch Building. Um, they did a ton of product design back in the 80s. And a lot of people that I've met over the years, whenever I mention I'm at the ICC, a lot of people here in Columbus know immediately where that building is because it used to be where a humongous product development firm was uh, back in the day. And they're still around. Um, I mm -hmm. think they're down in German Village now. They just do a lot more storefront um, kind of retail development design. So different switch gears developed and kept going. So. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Now, while you guys were at the ICC, did you start doing freelance then, uh, or <laughs> did you wait until you got out of school to start doing that? You might be better to start with that one, because you yeah. did a lot of graphic design freelance yeah, as well. I did do um, kind of as my job the last couple of years of, of college. I did a lot of freelance graphic design. Um, I also had an internship my jun after my junior year and worked at that internship throughout my senior year as well. Um, but as far as like industrial design freelance, I didn't do that, but Jacob did. Uh, when I grad, I don't know yeah. if I had any big, yeah, when I was in school, I didn't really do any industrial design. I mean, they were like small projects, but I wouldn't call them like a big deal. They were just small little things I did. So uh, one of the things would be when I graduated, that's when I really started figuring out what that was, but we could dive into that more, yeah. Good question, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, throughout your ICC experience, obviously, it was a newer school. How has the curriculum changed from then to now? And if you could kind of go over what the curriculum is like now a little bit, too, for people oh, that man. don't know. Well, that's probably more up my alley. But uh, <laughs> I, for both of us being in the program earlier on, I mean, it's adapted and changed so much. I mean, it, it's a lot more different than it used to be. But I, I would say it's just it's it's changed a bit because – 
One of the things that I think was more valuable with our experience when we were first there is we had a great opportunity to do more presentation and speaking. You guys don't do as much presentation and public speaking as we used to. I think that one of the strengths that the ICC has always had is kind of the ability to put you guys as students on the spot and better be able to present yourselves and your ideas. Um, a lot of times, a lot of designers are like, here's my cool idea, do you like it? He's like, no, 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 you gotta explain it. Like, why, why does it matter? Why is it important? Um, hand sketching was really big when we were there. Yeah, and, Week, weeks and weeks of cubes. Oh yeah, that's all we would do for like three <laughs> weeks straight was drawing cubes. So I think that it's, what it's done, and the way that I think about it is that what it's done is added in more digital kind of building into where the industry is going now and has been really adapting to it over the last few years. And I'd say for us, the biggest thing, and I think what was helpful is like in hand sketching, you can like visually tell what you need to sketch. Like you're always looking um, and you can quickly sketch something up on a piece of paper. Whereas if you're stuck on an iPad or a computer, you're, you gotta go away from that meeting. Um, so I feel like what it helped is that like when you're in a meeting or you have the ability to sketch something for a client, right? Like right then, right in that moment, you have a better chance of catching the idea in that discussion rather than going away and then having to come back and represent it. So a lot of more on the spot, quick, you know, versus where we're at now, where you guys are at in the program with more digital and presentation tools. Hmm. Then... So going about how the program has changed, what did the senior capstone journey look like for both of you guys? I want to hear both of you guys talk about that journey that you guys went through. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Uh, my senior capstone was a pill dispenser for older adults. Um, it, there's, there was like, I found, done research, of course, and you have to be able to defend your senior capstone subject to the professors and... Um, there was the concern of younger uh, family coming over to, the, to an older person's house and taking their meds or um, people getting like really young kids getting into it because it's not locked away and stuff like that. Um, but then also the concern of them forgetting to take their meds or um, taking it at the wrong time and stuff like that. So I, I designed like this, uh, this fully manual pill dispenser. Uh, for older adults. And I was able to actually meet with a charity here in Columbus and, and like go interview all their older residents and test out my prototypes and stuff on them and kind of get their reactions. And, and their feedback was like very critical to my design. And so that was, that was really cool. I think I really loved the flexibility that the ICC gave us with our schedule during senior capstone time um, to just leave the classroom and, and get out there and actually do the research. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that was like the big thing is that because you have that flexibility, you can like meet with people, talk with a lot of different people. Um, my capstone was an emergency medical vehicle based off of like a four by four platform. And so it was all about wilderness rescue and it had a lot of modular components that allowed it to kind of work in different scenarios. Um, one of the big things was like mass casualty situations. So looking at school shootings or earthquakes, um, things that would involve triage, which is the process of separating out people based on their condition and applying treatment um, in a couple of different ways, um, depending on what their need is and what their state is when they're in that point. 
Um, so what I was able to do, like Grace was saying, was go out and meet. Since my dad was in the Air Force, I had an awesome opportunity to meet with a lot of Air Force medics. Um, it was really cool to hear their <clears throat> kind of combat perspective. And then, of course, Tom Balliott at the ICC being an EMT, he was able to kind of provide an opportunity to go check out an ambulance um, off-site. And uh, it was really cool. That was a great experience because... Uh, you know, you find out so many things about like, oh, well, you know, anything related to the circulatory system is red. Um, hopefully I'm remembering this correctly, but they had like red, blue, and green, and each of those things, you know, related to different, you know, treatment options. So that was really cool. I mean, I, I think being able to get out in the field and see what's out there and hear from a lot of people, you know, what their experiences are was a, was a really big deal. Yeah, and I think like what you guys are talking about is something that we've kind of been finding as a recurring theme is that research is so important and having the right problem to solve and knowing who to talk to can influence your design a lot more than your aesthetic appeal <laughs> or uh you know the the newest technology that's out there. Um research can make such a big difference like when you're going through the the product development oh, yeah. process. Yeah, and I, I think like that research development process, it kind of, it really dictates the direct, like, because if you just created like a really pretty looking emergency vehicle, <laughs> great, big deal, you know, like, I think that's always been kind of a design challenge is it's like, you can't just make things always look beautiful. Like, you know, that is a huge part of design, but I think background of industrial design is that you're creating a lot of like functional things there's a lot of function in industrial design and if it doesn't do the job correctly you're kind of doing a disservice to your consumer mm -hmm. you're not providing a good product that that benefits them so yeah, yeah it it matters a lot to have a good frame of reference yeah and like you were saying lane like it's important to be able to pivot like even no matter how far you are along in the design to be able to pivot based on hard facts and research if, if you find that your consumer needs something different than what you're providing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So what did you learn about your individual processes for both of you throughout your senior capstone and now into your careers? Oh, that's a good one. I want to go first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's so. Yeah. I think what I learned through mine is I tend to be a very, technically minded person <laughs> it's i love drawing i love illustrating like you know what i draw and illustrate i love to make really cool and look good but deep down i love looking at the technical side of design so when i was doing that project and it's something that's hindered me too like it's always hard when you're like diving into the details like okay what is the suspension going to be what are the shocks what kind of platform should i retrofit an existing four by four should i you know those are the questions that go through my mind like I'm, I'm very technically driven like i need to know what is happening before i start before i can think about making it look pretty because if i make it look pretty and there's no function at the end of it uh, i feel like i've just treaded water for weeks on end so being able to kind of know what's inside it before you start applying the externals is, is really valuable. And I think, too, another big thing is um, all that technical kind of fit into where my career went in intellectual property. And that was like a really big part of what I did outside of school when I landed my first job. And that really was beneficial. I think it's kind of helped shape how I view design as well, you know, that very what's patentable what's a function is it a design that you're claiming is it a you know process that you're claiming so 
looking at those kind of <laughs> structural or minute details really fit into what I did as an industrial designer. Mm. So Jacob, kind of what you're talking about is you don't want to draw a pretty product and then try to jam all of the technology inside. You want to know kind of like what you're working with and then be able to build something that is functional and pleasing around that technology. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's kind of the big part of industrial, you know, industrial in design. You know, you can have design and it'll look nice, but yeah, in the end, having that function is really valuable. Yeah. And in that note, that's what something that I've been learning. I think I'm starting to understand the importance of research beforehand. Because I found while I try to design something while Googling, trying to like, wait, what is the dimension of the average this and this while I'm sketching and all of a sudden I'm just staring at a page with like like <laughs> just terrible drawings and like trying to be too precise. <laughs> I don't loosen up at all because I have all this stuff I'm stuffing in my brain, but I haven't had time to like actually digest the knowledge and just have something to design off of. Just in that, and so that's something that I, as I've gone through the ICC, not saying that I'm anywhere crazy right now, but I'm learning a little, little by little, things that can allow the process to be more fluid, uh, just to allow what's in your brain that you've accumulated go onto the paper or into the CAD model or whatever that may be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think too, it's like you're saying, you get all these ideas, and if you haven't like digested it, you know, mm. how is it dictating what you're gonna start? providing and visuals basically yeah now, yeah grace what was what does your process look like and how has it evolved um i guess like maybe starting with my senior capstone like you were saying like i think i i tend to think of things in relation to each other um maybe so for my senior capstone it ended up being a, a pill dispenser that also had uh, like a plant or a fish tank on the back of it so um, I, it was kind of like evaluating the relationship between how people care for their pets or their plants and then how they care for themselves. So the remind, like care for others reminds you to, to take your meds, you know, kind of something like that. Um, so and, and that's kind of followed me through into my career where it's like every time, not every time, but in a lot of projects when I approach it, I like to think about like, oh, well, well how does this thing change the perception of of the product or like, and how does it nudge the consumer to, to use it the correct way or something like that. So like more, um, subtle kind of like psychological human interaction things and, Mm. and kind of systems and, and how they relate to each other. Yeah. Like one thing's informing the other, like, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're doing something that's natural, like you're going to do it anyways. Are there ways that you can piggyback off of that, that, inform the next thing that you're trying to convince them to do yeah so i think i tend to live in more of the abstract rather (laughs) than (laughs) rather than like the nuts and bolts of like you know what shocks do i put on this car you know i'm just kind of like oh we'll figure that out later like i just know that i want it to which is good for me feel welcoming (laughs) and i'm like i want it to 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 kind of breathe or something like that you know (laughs) higher level of concept that's not how yeah that's that's not how my brain tends to work right (laughs) off the bat but I, I've, I've tried stuff like that, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying it's always very successful, like mood boards and stuff have been a huge learning process. Yeah, uh, it's a lot like, harder to pin down data for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So mm. it's it's harder to kind of justify 
sometimes in a, in a group, like, why did I do this? Well, yeah. it's, it just, it feels like it makes sense to me. You know? But I think that's a good opportunity where you get the chance to prototype or test it. Like, yes. I think sometimes, like, yes. if you get, like, how you're, you know, like me, where I'm obsessed with the details, I don't go out and do anything because I have to make my list. I have to make sure everything's where it should be before I go do it. Where on the other hand, in another set of process, you can just, you just do it. You test mm -hmm. it and you push it, you break it, you see what happens. Um, so I, I think that, you know, is a very good <laughs> pair. Yeah. And I, I tend to save things to my mood boards that are completely unrelated to the product I'm yeah. designing. Um, yeah. Once I think in school, I designed a, a power tool based off of a loaf of bread <laughs> that I saw on Pinterest. Wow. Yeah. Very, yeah, very outside looking in kind of, you know, or, or rather you're taking things from outside your subject matter and applying it to what mm -hmm. you're working on. Able to catch, pick up on details from something right. else. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it's kind of, you see that thread that kind of ties everything together. You can kind of see the way that you can take things that seem completely unrelated, but just one feature or aspect of that thing and say, oh, yeah. how can I bring that to something that doesn't have that or could do that better? That's, that's really cool. Yeah, because like it's like, I, I think sometimes people are like, I'm going to design a car. So I'm going to go look at Ferrari, Porsche. I'm going to mm -hmm. see what's out there. I'm going to, in my opinion, it's like, well, what's MIT doing? Like what kind of research, what kind of technologies are being developed? Don't, don't think about just, this is a car. Um, think about mobility. You know, it's not just a vehicle anymore. Mobility could be anything. You, know, you could be wearing stilts. That's a form of mobility, <laughs> you know? So yeah, there's yeah. all these kinds of things that while are external to your subject matter, whenever you're focused. So like, for example, if you guys are thinking about your capstone projects, don't just think I want to design a product or a car or like a mouse. What other things outside of that industry can better inform what is going on? And like whenever I'm doing intellectual property stuff, that's kind of what I have to do because, you know, We've been inventing and patenting things since the 1800s, so I always like there's nothing new under the sun. I guarantee you, <laughs> it has been done in some bizarre form of fashion from the early 1900s onward. So, how do you take like developing technologies, things that are outside and around us that can be brought into an industry that hasn't adapted or changed to that yet? That's where I think you. That's in in that case, that's where you get a lot of clients that are able to receive better novel intellectual property because you're being informed by something outside of the traditional subject matter. So that that's something that I think is a big part of design is don't just be stuck in your box of whatever the immediate thing is, what's outside of it that you're kind of applying to it. Hmm. Well, relating back to process, you mentioned prototyping and like the value that that can bring. So do you guys find yourselves prototyping things a lot and what kind of value does that add to your process? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say like, yeah, at, at my job, anything that is uh, ergonomic, that needs to be ergonomic, uh, handled by human hands or sat on or whatever, it's like, it's crucial to prototype. Um, sometimes if we're just designing a housing for something that just sits on a shelf, like you don't, prototype is important to understand the scale of what you're making, but it's not as important to, to test ergonomics. Um, yeah, actually, just this just this last week, I was sewing for prototyping at, at my work. So, <laughs> yep, it's fun. I yeah. enjoy it. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
And, and I think with prototyping too, it's like there's different types of prototypes. There, you know, there's like appearance prototypes, there's functional prototypes, there's, um, what's the other one? There's another one that I'm thinking of that has a specific appearance. It'll come to me later, but <laughs> you know, there's different levels to it. There's different types of prototypes that do different things. You know, if I wanted to do an appearance prototype, I'm probably gonna try and make the surfaces look as close as possible to the actual materials that I want to finalize the design in, you know, make it look like it has chrome, um, make it look like it's matte, you know, all those different finishes can affect the perception of that product. Um, then you might be, you know, making an ergonomic prototype where you need to create just a foam model of something that you can hold. You know, if it's a video game controller, how comfortable is it? How long can you hold that and do things with it? You know, maybe you don't put in all the electronics, but you have buttons and things can move and be pressed so you can try that. Like, what's the endurance of holding that object for X amount of time? Um, and then you get all the way up to like final prototypes, like pre-production prototypes, where it's as close as possible to the real thing with electronics, 3D printed housings. It may even have actually injection molded housings. So all that kind of stuff becomes a part of it. Um, Usually other companies, you know, when I worked uh, with Bigger Tuna consulting for them, the big part of that was that I would have to work with engineers or prototypers to help get to that point of developing it. So oftentimes it's not myself prototyping, but working with others that know far more than I do to get to that point of having something delivered to the client. Hmm. So, And I remember we were doing a, a furniture project and you showed us this little prototype that you guys had made <laughs> of a chair. Yeah. Um, and you said that you learned a lot from it because like when you actually put the load on where yep. you're, where you sit, the pieces would buckle together. Right. And so yeah. I think that I didn't really understand how useful a prototype could be and even aside from like the obvious ergonomics and stuff. Exactly. And even at that small of a scale, you think, Oh, it's a, it's like a dollhouse chair, but it's like, there's still some physics going on there that allow you to kind of see what's going on. Cause if we didn't put in an extra support brace, let's say I went through and bought all that plywood and, and fabric and I made that sling chair and all of a sudden all the weight just, kind of, <laughs> and I, you know, I sit in it and it just instantly collapsed. Like, wow, what a waste of money and time. And then if I'm doing that for a client, even more so like, oh my gosh, what did I do? You know? Yeah, waste so, of their money and yeah. time at that point. <laughs> exactly. So how are you best using your resources so that you don't do that? Because it's better you spend like a week of developing a prototype at a low cost rather than spend the full budget and develop something that then you realize doesn't work. So in that regard, yeah, it's really important to think about the level of prototype because no matter how small or maybe even insignificant it may feel, like like if I just made a foam controller, like you might hold something and then immediately you're like, oh, that is awful. Like that is so painful. I can't even hold it longer than five seconds. But that foam model that you maybe did in an hour or two saves you a ton of time in the long run trying to figure out what you need to have produced in the end. Mm. Yeah, I, I used to work at Best Buy and one of the big things for headphones people would come demo the headphones and I knew that there was a pair of headphones that sounded pretty good compared to I'm just gonna, like Bose, Bose was the one that I'm comparing it to, they sounded fine they're like, why don't I just get these I'm like, well where do you plan on using them and they're like, well I am always flying out to California to see family or something like that I'm like, it's you can't wear flight. those for 8 hours I wouldn't say it as bluntly as that I would say it in a nice, you know, salesperson yeah. way I'm like, you, you, can't, you can't wear those Like, and you want to 
what do you do with headphones? You wear them. <laughs> and if you can't wear headphones, they're not going to serve their function very well. I love personal audio. It's the same thing down in our kitchen. We have this speaker. It's a good speaker. But my mom is like a dog and like hiding its toy. She will hide technology no matter what. <laughs> she will shove plants and stuff oh, in or funny. whatever she can in front of it. And I'm just pulling my hair out. I'm like, you ruin the function of the thing that <laughs> needs to produce good sound. Like you, you're ruining it. But then you can't blame her because if it's something that doesn't look beautiful and you don't want it to be sitting in your kitchen. Why bother? Well, exactly. It's yeah. not it, – it, so it's cool how aesthetics um, tie into function. Um, so that mm-hmm. was just my little two cents on that. No, but, I mean, that's great insight. The funny thing is, is that it's like a lot of times, like things that informed me in my career too. So when I was in high school, I had a job as a luthier. I worked in a violin shop and you would think like, oh, that, that has nothing to do with industrial design, but the ability to work with your hands, work with small objects, uh, like one of the most bizarre things I learned is that when you're making a violin, you don't use regular synthetic glue. You have to use animal hide glue or else it dampens the sound. You lose that vibration within the instrument by adding that separate synthetic material into it. And you could have the most beautiful violin, but just by changing out the material for gluing it together, you've created a useless object. So all those little experiences that you guys kind of go through in your post or, you know, pre-college years. I mean, they, they inform a lot of what you do. Um, side note there, but you know, yeah. that it's just something interesting. I mean, I, I think sometimes people always discount like, oh, I worked at Best Buy. Like I worked at Lowe's for years, but it helps you see like how do customers interact with the products that you want to design someday? Like someone would come in, a contractor's like, this thing is stupid. It's useless. It's too heavy. Like you don't learn those things from school. You learn those things from going out and interacting with people, meeting with people, talking with people, um, just being observant even, you know, that it just informs so much of your process. Hmm. So, uh, what did your guys, uh, post graduation, um, life look like initially before we go too deep into the weeds of industrial design, what'd that look like <laughs> for each one of you guys uh, individually um, or together, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for me, uh, post-graduation, I was working uh, on Fridays. We have Fridays off at the ICC. Um, I was working my industrial design job down in Xenia at a... Uh, I Inventus. Industri- yeah, I yeah. It was in an industrial park in Xenia. And uh, but I really wanted to be in Columbus. So I actually got my job at Zucan Plan, which is in Gehanna. Um, from uh, I participated in the Student Merit Awards uh, for IDSA. And one of the employees from Zukin came up to me after I presented my, my portfolio. And he had me, he said to send him my portfolio. So I did. And um, he, they called me in for a portfolio review. I thought it was just a portfolio review. You know, <laughs> like you're going to tear apart my portfolio and give me some helpful tips and uh, ended up being a job interview. So I, I got um, a job offer from Zukin and I accepted that and I started working there like two weeks after graduation. And um, I was really thrilled about that because I had actually known about Zukin since I started the program. Yeah. Because um, one of the, we did like a trip up to Columbus as the industrial design 
freshmen. <laughs> and they, Zukin, I think, opened their doors to just let us see what a, a product design studio is like when I was a freshman in college. And so I had first stepped into Zukin then, and then later came back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then for mine, I graduated. Mine looks very different. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get a full job. I got an internship. So when I graduated, I found an internship through Bigger Tuna. And they are an intellectual property and product development company uh, down in the Idea Foundry here in Columbus, Ohio. And so I started there as an intern. And I just started picking up on how to do intellectual property, patent design, drafting, uh, then taking that and doing product development out of it. But uh, I also worked a landscaping job. I worked at the property at the ICC. I worked at Blick Art Materials. So when I started, I had like three jobs. I was living in some crazy apartment uh, on the east side of Columbus. And from there, it turned into a hourly job. And so this is where ignorant out of college Jacob comes in not understanding that, oh, I'm a freelancer now. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of how I started getting into freelancing and then kind of developing it into being a consultant. Because really what would happen a lot of times at Bigger Tune is we'd have clients come in, we would meet with them, and then my job was to kind of assess their product um, by reviewing what we call a prior art review. And we could talk about that more. That's a long part of it. But that's one part of the intellectual property process. And from there, you can better inform your client whether or not their idea has uh, potential. So that's kind of when I started getting into consulting. And that's kind of how my, the rest of my career, I've been doing that since 2016. So, you know, excluding probably the four months of an internship I had. And uh, so, yeah, been doing that ever since. And then this last year, I, or well, this year, this year, I just started Tesmer Design, which is my consulting firm, uh, industrial design firm here in Columbus, Ohio. So that's where I'm at right now. And that kind of the process of, you know, going from college to where I am here. So, yeah. Wow. Congrats. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels weird saying it. <laughs> but yeah, I guess in terms of like how we met, we were both in the industrial design program and we just kind of clicked, got to know each other. Um, oh, that's a lie. She told me she didn't want to go out with me. I remember asking her out the first time I, uh, I asked her out for coffee and she said, no. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's cool. That's all right. So, but I stuck around. I stuck through it. <laughs> and then uh, asked her out again another time, went out to dinner. I got a parking ticket. <laughs> so it was a journey <laughs> and now it. we're here and now we're here yeah but uh yeah no uh but i think the cool thing is that we were both super excited about industrial design i think that's you know that's one part of why we kind of get along so well and it's something that we're both really interested in so it definitely was a uniting factor in oh, a yeah. lot of ways for sure we talk about it all the time <laughs> i know yeah exactly so it's definitely like something that's always on our mind it's stuff we get, you know, we geek out about Herman Miller, furniture, Charles and Ray Eames. That's, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there, you know, it's cool being in a relationship where you both kind of see design. And it's really cool too, because like you, you were talking about earlier, me being very technical minded and her being very kind of higher, bigger picture thinking, it makes for a really cool dynamic when we're working on projects. So, you know, we've done projects in the past we kind of help with each other's work 
Grace does a lot of freelance um, graphic design. Mm -hmm. She's got her own printmaking company, Studio Esteldor. So we've just kind of got our toes dipped in all these different aspects of design, ranging from graphic design to product design, intellectual property to printmaking. Yeah. It's just something we're super passionate about. It's always nice just having someone else that you know will always be there to bounce ideas off of and like, yeah. like you know, what do you think of this? They're like, you right. know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's funny because... Uh, you would think it's very like we live in a vacuum, but because we have two different perspectives, like no, Jacob, that idea sucks. <laughs> like, I, I don't, you need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. So it it's good to have that kind of balance. Like you don't just want to live in a vacuum. Like you guys, for example, might want to just challenge yourself. Don't always assume like your idea is the best thing. You know, look mm -hmm. for critical feedback. I think sometimes in design we're not critical with each other. It's good because what you don't want to do is get to the end of that project and then the client's like, this is this is terrible. Why didn't you see this glaring, obvious problem? Like working from home, like myself being self-employed, I am the designer. <laughs> I'm the one on staff. So I have to be really critical with myself to understand that, hey, I need to be looking at every aspect of this product before I deliver it. But on the other hand, it's nice to have Grace when she gets back from work and say, hey, you want to take a look at this real quick before I deliver it? So <laughs> it, it's a cool dynamic, something mm. that we've, we've gotten really uh, good at working through. Yeah, I think in school... Feedback, like critical feedback, is sometimes hard to take. Yeah. But, uh, you really come to value it, I guess, when you're in, you know, in, in your careers. Career. I mean, I'm sure you value it in school too, but it, you know, you have to not take it personally in your yeah. careers and you find that it saves you a lot of time oh, yeah. to listen to feedback. And so I think that's, it's helpful to have each other for that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Being able to have that, uh, second opinion is, mm -hmm. is very valuable. Hmm. Well, Jacob, it sounds like you have a lot of, uh, a lot of design, you know, that you're doing all the time with your, with your personal, like your, uh, your own consulting design firm. Yeah. Um, do you still do, what did you, you called it prior art yeah. review? So I'm, still I'm not technically qualified to do prior art. So usually that's something you would have an attorney or an examiner do for you. So usually we would have someone, so like for example, when I work with Bigger Tuna, they have someone outside the company that provides that. And there's a lot of companies out there that do that. So usually I would want to refer that kind of service to a client before we get started. And, and that's usually just how I've always done business is that what I don't want to do is start developing this product and then you find out that there's some company in California that's going to slap you with a cease and desist, you know, legal paperwork and just say, hey, you got to stop. Like, or, or they'll say, you know, you owe me a lot of money or, you know, we're going to buy you. Mm. Um, so there's kind of stuff like that where you want to be very cautious when you get into developing your product that you're aware of, of what's out there and what kind of things are going to be concerning if you're going to develop this product. On the other hand, I do also have an opinion that if there's nothing to patent, you should not patent anything. <laughs> if it is just a good, solid product that you're not going to be infringing or you're not going to have any problems, just go to market with it and design a good product. Because oftentimes I've also had clients who they want to patent something and it just, it's patented for the sake of being patented. You should never try and patent something just because you want to patent because you're missing all the other aspects of, is it marketable? Is it something that people need? Is it something that they want? And is it something that you can build a business around? So that, that's kind mm. of the yeah, rest idea. I mean, it. it sounds like if you need, if you need an attorney and you know, all of 
this expertise it, that it takes a lot of time and money to do those those patents um in that prior art review yeah. so it's like seems like you're saying there are a lot of other things that can be more valuable than just being able to you know put patented technology on the box yeah. mm-hmm. and and sometimes too the other thing is if there's nothing to patent if you're the first one out there and you're the first one to develop it you get the best reviews brand loyalty comes in and you have loyal customers who will buy your product because you're the first and you did it really well. So if you're willing to do your product to the best of its ability and you have something that people genuinely need, I just feel that even if you do get ripped off or someone comes along and does rip off your invention, which does happen regardless of whether you have intellectual property sometimes, the big picture is is if you can capture the majority of the market, you're the winner in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Well, Jacob, you've seen a lot of ideas, I'm sure. Um, you know, come across your table (laughs) and, um, you know, something that we kind of ask a a lot of our guests is like, is there something, is there like, uh, one attribute that these products have, these ideas have that make them like really good design ideas? Yeah, I I guess I'd say so. So it kind of depends. Uh, the biggest thing for me, I'm, I'm like a very people oriented person. I've met a lot of people and they have an idea for a product, but if they're not willing to take it the length, you know, the full development of it, there's a high price or high possibility that it just probably won't make it. Um, Because when you go down the route of being the inventor, developing your product, it's a lot of, you know, you have to be willing to commit to a long-term business plan. Um, A lot of times people want to like lease their ideas, but in the end, you know, going back to your question of those ideas, um, or license, not lease, license your idea. Um, The big picture of it though, I think is you're looking at the people behind the product. So people who are passionate about it, I think have the best ideas because they genuinely found something that has, you know, potential to change a certain situation. And I think too, the people who come up with an invention that addresses an existing problem instead of creating a problem to be addressed that's also a really good perspective. Like don't just invent a problem for the sake of solving it. Find an existing problem that meets people's needs and you'll have a really high chance of success there because you're working you know, within a problem that needs to be answered. Um, and that could be a, one of the products that I love working on was uh, this bottle holder. It had a magnet, it was called a fixed. And basically it was this fabric sleeve with a plastic housing and a magnet inside that plastic housing that would just hold your bottle up off the ground when you're at the gym. Really simple problem, problem. Um, but it was helpful for that guy who made it because he was passionate about it. He had you know, everything kind of going for him to develop that product and, and it's still for sale and he's really kind of invested into it. So it's, it's really cool when you see that, like a simple problem being answered, but the people and those who that, you know, developed it have a really great background or, you know, not background, but uh, drive to make it succeed. You know, they, they want to see it out there because if you don't want it, mm. it's just, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And you always have those projects where you're working on it and you're like, man, this is like, this is something that could really work and you're passionate about it. And sometimes it like, it actually is a good idea and sometimes it isn't. Um, but a lot of times, one of the things that makes the difference, whether or not it's a good idea, is like the amount of effort that you put into it. And I heard something recently, it, you know, create, creativeness, creativity is a, is a hard thing to monetize. Um, and I think like you guys are doing a, like a good job of that. 
Um, but the one thing that always like sets people apart and makes them successful is to just be creative all the time, a lot, and just create a bunch of stuff. Um, so, you know, passion, I think from, as far as I can tell, makes a huge difference. Yeah. Like in the, in the, the product development. Yeah. And like kind of seeing how, you know, you guys started this project, you know, podcast as kind of which I think is really cool. You guys are kind of creating a podcast to learn your, for yourself. I think that's kind of the funny part is you're, you're basically interviewing people for the purpose of extracurricular education. <laughs> that, that's what I love about it so much. And so I think what's really cool is that you're kind of showing the signs of wanting to be really pat. Like you're saying, like it's something that you do in your free time. Um, now there's a whole nother conversation there of like work-life balance, you know, you got to find hobbies. You got to do something other than what you do at work every day or you come home and you feel miserable. Been there, done that. <laughs> don't don't spend your entire life just doing design stuff all the time. Uh, it leads to quick burnout. But on the other hand, is it something that you're really passionate about? I think with design, it's definitely a career that if you're not super excited about it, it the, the rewards are not worth it. <laughs> you have to be passionate about it. I think it's something that, you know, if you're not excited when you wake up in the morning, like I get to do design work today, uh, there's something that needs to be fixed, you know? So yeah, passion goes a long way. It, it can really dictate success or failure in a lot of ways. So uh, Jacob, we've gone over your experience in, you know, kind of the freelance world, but Grace, what does it look like being in a more structured environment than uh, the type of life Jacob's in, <laughs> the design life he's yeah. in? What does that look like for you on a work, sure. work basis? Yeah. Um, well, I work at Zucan Plan, and so I have we have a lot different clients, I guess, than what Jacob has worked with for most mm-hmm. of his career so far. Um Jacob has worked with a lot of inventors, and at Zucan we tend to work with larger companies. Um, you had you actually had uh, Zach Lowe on here, and he's at TTI. We we do some work for TTI. Not I don't think it's related to what Zach works on, but uh, so so we'll do work for larger companies like that, and usually we'll just kind of be their creative brains, um, like they'll outsource <laughs> their creative brains to an independent firm that gets. A lot of experience on a lot of different projects um, and I think that's valuable for those companies because it doesn't their design doesn't get stagnant because um, one week I'll be working on an industrial product and the next week I'll be working on a vacuum so I'm like pulling inspiration and knowledge from all these different sources and bringing them to each project so I think that's the nice thing about working for a firm rather than a company rather than being the design department in a company yeah because you you really get exposed to a lot of different types of projects. Yeah, the variety is really interesting when you're mm-hmm. in those smaller firms because you have to have a variety of clients to make sure that you have billable hours for every kind of part of the year. I mean, at least, oh, yeah. you know, from my experience, that's how I've seen. You want to have variety so you don't miss out on something. So being able to mm-hmm. have that kind of diversity of clientele allows for that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like I've I've gravitated to some projects more than others and stuff like that but I think in the end I really appreciate um, being pulled onto projects I don't feel as you know maybe I don't feel like I'm the best fit for that project but it really helps stretch and grow me to to get better in that area so uh, yeah so it I think the projects I've really enjoyed so far in my career have been more of the 
visual brand language kind of projects, VBL, because it's pulling together all those seemingly disparate um, things like color and branding and shape mm-hmm. and yeah and stuff like that. And, yeah. Right. And, and making sense out of it for like, you know, when do you apply this color to this product and um, what size should the branding be? And when do you use this type of mesh for the vent and when do you use a different kind? And I think I really, <laughs> it's, it's technical but abstract at the same time. So I'll like develop infographics and stuff to try to uh, make sense of it all. And then usually for those kind of projects too, we are developing a document to hand back to the client at the end so that they can take that visual brand language and apply it in the future without us needing to step in and design every single product for them right. for the rest of time. You know? <laughs> um, so <laughs> Creating guidelines, basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's called a guideline document. Mm, right, yeah. Um, okay, so when we talk to... I'm sorry, I don't know if you guys can No, go ahead. When we talked to Zach Lowe, he was talking about uh, color material and graphics. Yeah like documents that he would put together for a project. So you're saying like you're doing that kind of thing, but like for a whole line of products for a brand so that they're all cohesive and they look company, like they were designed like if together. That's the only thing. And then across products within a brand as well. Yes. Know? So yeah. for if we do it for an entire mm. company, usually, usually depending on how big the company is, of course, usually there's families of products underneath that company. So there's the overarching brand. And then underneath there's like, this is a desktop product, this is a server product, you know, the, there's all these different groups of products. And so then within them, they need their own identity. So it's, it's like, you know, the family mm-hmm. thing of, you know, there's brothers and sisters, but then there's cousins. So they yeah. still need to look familiar, but um, they, fit a different they don't need to look that, exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you tried to take one product that's in one family of products and then apply it to another, it's like, what if the users are different? You know, all of a sudden it's like, well, it doesn't really make sense, but you still want to make sure that they know what brand they're buying from. Yeah, you definitely want brand familiarity mm-hmm. and um, you want the client to be able to, uh, I guess one thing recently that we've been really trying to make sure when we're designing products is if the client is looking at this on online, they're shopping online for this, can they see the special features that we have on this product from a tiny image on the computer screen? <laughs> So it's like sometimes now we're almost designing for that little tiny little preview that they get, you know. So it's like, can you tell that it has a special feature on here, um, looking on the screen? Yeah. And so that's something we have to consider too. Right. It's like mm. I, I just always use the word like visual communication. It's just that's what industrial design is. A lot of the time, it's like how are you visually telling someone what needs to get done without words even sometimes? I mean, yeah. That's the cool thing about product design is oftentimes it's like, you just have to look at the thing that we sketch as designers. And the goal is that intuitively you understand exactly what I'm saying without even opening my mouth. You know, that's yeah. what a really good sketch does is if you look at it and you know, instantly what it's trying to tell you. Yeah. And then in visual brand language too, there's, you're also trying to communicate hierarchy. So yeah. usually there are more premium products and then there are the more affordable products that still do a good job, you know? So like for Apple, you know, they have the the 12 mini, they have the 12 pro, they have the regular 12. And it's like based on their wording, you, you know, which one is more expensive and will do a better job supposedly. And yeah. <laughs> um, so then we also try to communicate that visually as well. And for Apple, as an example, they use more premium materials on their higher end products. 
And so we we try to do kind of a similar thing to whatever company that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so the visual brand, brand language is like part industrial design and part graphic design and mm-hmm. all together like user experience, really. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which mm-hmm. is why maybe why I enjoy doing it so much because I, <laughs> I do have a foot in graphic design pretty much at all times. <laughs> but I, I do enjoy that. Yeah. yeah, I've I've been working a lot with graphic design recently, and it's interesting because in industrial design, it's you know the form follows the function. In graphic design, you know you have to have something to base your design off of. There needs to be a reason why stuff is there. And I've right. worked with uh, VBL before, and it's crazy how important that is to have a brand and how it actually can help a company just across all aspects. Um, and what's like to work without a VBL and <laughs> the different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things and issues that can cause. Uh, recently it's I was a, working on... It's a big task to overcome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like recently I've been working on images for Amazon for a company for scale to show the scale of an item. Mm, yeah, um, nice. Because there's no, like even because like for instance one of them is a lawnmower and it's 14 inches and the only bad reviews, it's a real mower, it's like a push mower. But the only bad reviews are people saying, like, this is tiny. It would take forever to cut my yard. It, well, like, in the description, it <laughs> but says, But it's a like, perception. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And you see it, like, and you can click through all these real mowers, and they all look pretty pretty similar. Yeah. But it's not until you can give them context. So that's something I love. I love the visual communication of something and how it's really cool seeing it show up in reviews and show up in purchases and show up in how it – you think it's just like, oh, whatever. Like, it's 14 inches. They know it's 14 inches. No, they don't. <laughs> People don't know. And oh, yeah. it's, and I, I don't, I didn't know. I had to like physically look at one to get like an actual <laughs> idea for what it's like because you don't realize, um, you think you're familiar with it, but you're uh, actually, actually not. So that's something I can 100% uh, relate to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of amazing how just seeing some, it's like, uh, like I'll see a really cool car on the internet, like a picture. And I'm like, uh, that looks interesting. And then I'll see it in person like, oh, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. It's amazing how just being in the presence of something well, changes. I mean, that happened just today. We got a desk, pa- desk pad for Jacob's desk here. <laughs> yeah. And it came and I was like, that looks way smaller than I thought yeah. it was going to be. That's not <laughs> quite like, the We knew the measurements. They gave us the measurements and uh, we didn't. Didn't look right. Didn't really uh, follow through <laughs> on actually measuring it out yeah, before we ordered. So. Learn my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we all have our little lessons that we learn. Oh, you bet. <laughs> and they never go away. They will never end. <laughs> Lane, you looked like you're gearing up there for a second. I was <laughs> I was pausing to see if you're going to ask another question. Um, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to circle back to a question that I was thinking of earlier. Well, I have to mm-hmm. say I have seen myself looking into after college a lot. Um, I roomed with two seniors this past year, seeing their stresses and their journey was a big inspiration for this podcast as well, because I'm worried. I am am worried about, you know, (laughs) what it's going to look like outside of of college. So I'm trying to say, like, I don't want to say I regret not doing enough. That's not something I'm going to let myself say. But I the two things I'm interested in in a career would be consulting. Or doing independent, <laughs> like, contract work. Yeah. So this has been really informative to me to kind of see those two journeys. And I mentioned to you, Jacob, uh, I don't know if you heard, Grace, the other day, or yesterday, um, about how I'm approaching um, my senior year as if 
out of college, I could have a website and things that I could start off as a consultant, even if I don't get a job, even if that's not where I end up working right out of college, just building a portfolio and stuff like that. Do you have any uh, thoughts on ways students can handle their senior year in the job search um, going out into the real, real world? Yeah. Oh, that's a good perspective. Um, well, maybe we could try, I'll, I'll try my best to address the consulting perspective. So it's, it's a little harder for me to answer it. Cause I, if I'm being honest, I really just kind of stumbled into it. I didn't even know I had to pay quarterly taxes until I had to pay all four quarter taxes at the end of my first year doing it. So it, there's a whole, you know, we could talk about this for hours, so I don't want to get too much into it, but what I would say with like getting out into it, you kind of need experience and you probably need to be willing to just take a job, like do the job, you know, like for me, it was the internship, but I also had kind of my other jobs, you know, like it, it took a lot on my part to kind of make this work. Um, and it meant, you know, being humble. I mean, you know, uh, there are, since I worked on the grounds at the school, there are a lot of days where there I am, you know, I had my internship, but I'm also digging in the dirt all afternoon in front of the students that knew I graduated last year. So it's really important to be humble. You don't want to be a know-it-all. Don't try and be an expert when you first get out of college. Like you're not. What I always think is be a good listener. Um, be the one who's willing to kind of hear and see what other professionals in your world are doing. And you're kind of getting a head start in this too, because by doing this podcast, you guys are getting to listen to a lot of really qualified professionals. You're really kind of looking at what they do, um, how they do it and how you can apply it. And I think too, like understanding what you're good at, what are your strengths? Like for me, it's always been concept development, um, sketching, visualizing, thinking through the product before it reaches the next stage of development. So that's kind of where I focused my skills was hand illustration, digital sketching. Um, and then probably after that was CAD because intellectual property, like where I worked, we did a lot of CAD design and then used the CAD design to generate line art in intellectual or patent packets, basically. Um, so those were all the skills that I honed and I did a lot of it in my free time. You know, I would make my own little projects. I do my own design. So how are you constantly learning? Um, those are the kind of things that, because when you graduate, you're not in school anymore. You're not going to be getting curated content to your door every single day. You have to go out and dig for it and find it and kind of build up this library of content that informs you throughout the day. Um, some of the cool projects that I worked on when I first started too, uh, we started doing work for a defense company in, uh, Westerville. They're called METS and they're a chemical engineering firm. And they did a lot of work for what are called SBIR proposals. So small business, uh, small business, innovative research proposals, SIBRs. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm working as a designer with chemical engineers with PhDs. <laughs> so I'm, I'm showing up to the office with these guys who work with companies like Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman. Um, there are a lot of guys who've done work on naval vessels. A couple of guys were Marines. So totally out of my element, just totally different perspectives on life. And so the biggest thing for me was, you know, before I would go into a meeting, you know, I would get a brief from the client, to, you know, for whatever proposal they wanted to bid on. And I took the time to sit there and oftentimes it kind of meant not getting paid for the full time that I'm reviewing the document, but educating myself. Like, what does this acronym mean? Uh, What is nano galvanic aluminum? You know, what is this material? How are they wanting to apply it? Um, 
how is it relating to the army research facility? So there's all these really, you know, things that I didn't know a whole lot about. Um, but I learned, like I was willing to get out there and take the time to kind of humble myself and just read up on as much as I could. And then oftentimes it meant a lot of listening. You know, when I show up for a meeting like that, my goal is to better understand them because what I can offer that's different is that I'm seeing it from an outside perspective. That doesn't mean that I know better than them. It means that I know to listen to the key points that they're going to make during that conversation and then interpret that into the service that I'm going to provide for them. So that that's not like all encompassing, but it's just something that I think is a good way to start, you know. Um, then of course it's like the longest schedule. How do you structure yourself? Are you a sole proprietor? Are you an LLC? You know, there's all the, you know, business side of it. Like how do you pay taxes? But I think before any of that, if you can kind of get a good feel for what it means to listen and kind of learn continually, um, I think that would help you go miles if you want to be a consultant. Um, yeah. cause really that, that's the value is, um, you don't want to be a know-it-all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and just to uh, kind of further develop uh, what, I, what I was sharing, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to come out of college as a consultant. I just know if I go out of my senior year and I try to build value, like I'm trying to get somebody to hire me independently, mm-hmm. then that's going to be more attractive to an employer, right? So mm-hmm. I want to see if like, hey, if I develop my CAD skills, not just my hand sketching skills, not just my... Hand, like rendering skills like if I have to present myself like hey I'm a one-stop shop <laughs> like I would it'd yeah. kind of be a front it would kind of be me trying to show that I'm have experience when I really have nothing more than just an education in it but that's kind of, that was yeah. just my philosophy on it no not that I actually <laughs> do yeah know, no do know that's good <laughs> I guess I, the danger there is is you don't want to be a one-stop shop um I think now, as a design student, I think you should explore every avenue that's available to you. But I think to some extent, like like I was saying earlier, like I can't do a prior art search. I'm, I'm not going to claim that I can, but I know people that do. And those are the people that I want to play off of and work with to better build a better service. So what you want to do is, you know, know what you're good at for sure um, and have those range of skills. But in the end, people are going to kind of hire you for what you're good at. Um, and what you have the strengths in. So I, I think of it like the church, you know, it's like in the body of believers, you know, some people are eyes, some people are arms, some people are legs. You know, we, we think of these kind of different gifts that everyone has that kind of do different purposes. And I can't be all, that'd be very arrogant of me. <laughs> and then on the other hand, I'm not going to be as effective as someone else. So, uh, Grace and I always thought this is kind of a quick side note, but we always talk about that. It's like design can enable people to be very arrogant because we like to think that we know everything because we dictate the design and the look Mm -hmm. and the process and we can do it all, you know, but in the end we're at our best when we're surrounded by those that lift up what we do. And I, that's kind of a part of our design philosophy and stuff that Grace and I talk about all the time is that, you know, if you can build that team or, you know, the people that can work with you on that, you have an awesome service to provide. So don't, uh, don't burn yourself out, you know, quickly, you know, trying to do everything at once. But, you know, I think that's a good way to look at it though. Like how can I be a consultant to a company someday? Or how can I be hired into that role somehow? Cause that's how you get your experience too. Like I had my internship through bigger tuna and then a year or two of just working, you know, hourly that informed me as to how, I, you know, work now, you know, that built everything that led to this moment here. So great experience, 
And that first job, even if it's part-time, full-time, consulting, self-employed, freelance, whatever you want to call it, that's how you get to where you can try and create something for yourself. So yeah, no, that's a great way to kind of frame your graduation too. Cause like, what if you don't get a job at a company? At least you could try finding, you know, consulting jobs or contract work when just you're building out there. value, like just yes. building value in every way that you can. And yeah, absolutely. I will add one more thing though, is that you do, I mean, you're, you're saying this, I, I can tell when you're talking about like building up a website and everything, it's like, you do want to put in the really hard work while you're a student and yeah. not just the hard work in your portfolio work, but also um, going out and meeting other professionals like you're like you're doing for this podcast but also going like if there's any in-person things or like online conferences where you can connect or even just reaching out to people on Instagram um, like or, or LinkedIn <laughs> um, just the more that you can kind of play your student card and and get advice and get feedback on your portfolio and just like be there and be it be on their mind you know it's like you, you do have a unique uh, opportunity. Yeah, opportunity as yeah. a student mm-hmm. to not be perceived as annoying. Right. Whereas as soon as you get out and yeah. you're not a student anymore, suddenly they the feel perception. like you're trying to you're trying to sell them something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, see if you can shadow like at different companies or at different yeah. firms and stuff like that. It's like just take any opportunity you can. And that's how you get work in the future too. Like. I, I'm not going to get work by messaging some person I haven't <laughs> spoke to in three years and saying, hey, would you like to hire me? Like, that is the worst <laughs> sales pitch you could ever do. Like, don't, for you know, like, and I think I've mentioned this before in classes, don't see people as an ends to a mean or means to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more of like build those relationships without the intention of getting any work. Because really in the end, like the work that you're going to get is kind of come from an, a casual coffee discussion or you're going to be hanging out and someone says, hey, Jacob, I got this guy who needs to get some work done. I mean, word of mouth, that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a good place to be. But it's definitely not too early to start that. Yes, as you're, exactly. as you're doing already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like already by doing this podcast, you, you've already kind of met a lot of really neat people in the end. I mean, just listening to your podcast is like, oh. I'd love to talk to that person or so-and-so. It's like, it's a really cool opportunity. So it, it's definitely something that doesn't stop here though. Like, don't just stop, you know, like for me, I have to like reach out to people and say, hey, let's get coffee this week. I have to be very intentional because once you get out into the real world, it's like you don't have functions anymore. Like, you know, as believers, thankfully we have church. You can go to church and run into people and that's great, but you got to build that community early or else it's going to be a really uphill battle to build it next time when you're ready for it. So, yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, that that's why we're doing this. We want to learn and we want to like meet people and, and talk to them and just like pick their brain about like what they love about industrial design and what their journey through it has been. Um, and so like we're really honored to talk with people like you who like have experience and, you know, have gone through this, all of these things before um, and getting even advice like going and uh you know meeting people in person seeing if you can shadow like those sorts of things are also just as useful as any you know uh any kind of like ideas about like the design process are so uh we're very thankful that you know all of our guests including you guys have you know taken time out of your day to you know talk with us oh yeah Yeah. all right it's fun yeah (laughs) yeah it's nice i mean why not take some time (laughs) to get to talk about what we all enjoy so 
it it's a big it's a cool community too i mean it's something that i think if you're in it you you definitely know they're passionate about it because why else would they be doing it <laughs> it can be a tough field to be in so it but worth it in the end for sure yeah yeah i feel like you can only be in it if you love it like i i feel like if you don't like i mean yes there's people that probably don't love it as much as others in it but why would you do it like you you can do other, yeah, you could know. say That's that about anything. Oh, oh, why would you do true. anything? Like what you know, any <laughs> career you have. Why would you do it if you didn't love it? I don't. I, well, I, think I, th- that's, I think that's an idea people should have, but I yeah. you know have a few friends that do stuff because of the paycheck. You know, and that, that's, yeah. that's, that's life. But that's that's a, a perfectly valid reason. Exactly. I just think it'd be great if you could get both. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's a great way. Right. To yeah, that'd, that'd be nice. <laughs> Well, I know I could talk for much longer, and I have a lot more questions, but that felt like a really good place uh, place to end. Um, Perfect. I am so thankful for uh, your guys' time that you so graciously gave to us. Jacob, uh, you can email me the bill for your time yes. whenever. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, we can talk <laughs> about a payment plan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, next time we hang out, 30 years coffee's like on that. you. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Or I might make you try a bang energy drink from the uh, comments. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> Not past five or else I'll be up all night long. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, but again, so thankful. This has been such a great learning experience for me, and I'm sure Lane as well. Um, I look forward to continuing our, our relationships and talking more in the future, but thanks so much, and we'll be back shortly with another episode. Peace. Peace. <laughs>